everyone. Welcome to Risk Roundup. I'm Jayashree Pandya, founder of Risk Group. I'm also the author of the book, The Global Age NGIOA at Risk, where NGIOA stands for nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia. While a big data revolution is underway in healthcare, there is also another silent revolution brewing in healthcare industry in the form of regenerative medicine. Regenerative medicine is perhaps a game-changing area of medicine with the potential to fully heal damaged tissues and organs, offering solutions and hope to people all across nations for the treatment of numerous everyday medical problems. Regenerative medicine holds the promise of affordable and effective healthcare and is making great strides with the help from 3D printing and stem cell therapies. What is amazing is that the driver of the silent revolution of regenerative medicine is the new knowledge, knowledge about stem cells, knowledge about growth factors, human genome, hormones, and the complex interconnected and interdependent systems of the human body. Stem cell research is a revolutionary opportunity to explore and understand scientific phenomenon to treat human diseases in an effective way. To discuss this emerging silent revolution in medicine, its tactical as well as strategic impact on the healthcare system, along with its independent and interdependent opportunities and risk, I'm delighted to welcome our guest for this week, Devin Patel. Devin is the CEO, president, and co-founder of Global Institute of Stem Cell Therapy and Research with headquarters in San Diego, California, USA. Welcome, Devin. We are honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Thank you for having me. Uh, so Devin, let's start with this. Stem cells and their use in regenerative medicine have been talked about a lot lately. For the risk round of viewers, can you explain what exactly does it mean? In terms of? In terms of what is it? Stem so, cell, what is stem cell therapy? What is regenerative medicine? Just some basic, you know. It's very simple. Anything that degenerates in our body, stem cell's job is to regenerate. So stem cell is a master cell of the body. And from there, the entire body is created. So as we grow up, you know, just like think of a building, if I make it very simple. When you're building a building from a scratch, you have a lot of material. And as building goes up and when building is complete, all the material supply goes down. And maybe, you know, you have a storage room where you put a couple of bulbs and glass and some tile just in case any small, uh, uh, you know, uh, damage to the home, you can change the bulb or a tile. Same with our body. When our, once our body matures at age of 20, 25, fully matured, then you don't need many more stem cells. So, you know, you have very few left. So if there is little cuts and bruises and stuff, that can heal. But let's say in the building, you break a whole wall, then you cannot repair from your storage room. You have to bring the supply from outside. Same thing with our bodies when it's mature after 2025 and then there's some kind of disease of their organ malfunction, then you need external support. And that's where you need to use a more stem cell, which you get it from your own body or from the donor. You know, so this is a regenerative medicine. Anything that degenerates, stem cells job is to regenerate and repair. That's why it's called it regenerative medicine. That's Hope fascinating. That's a very good explanation. So I do you see that that the reason why it is gaining a lot of popularity is the fundamental concept of regeneration and not of replacement, which, you know, modern medicine is so focused on. Yes, absolutely. If you really think about it since the last 5,000 years, 
from Ayurveda to Chinese medicine, everything. We've been doing surgeries over here, cutting open people and putting, you know, kidneys out and pull out the kidneys and, you know, new heart and all that things are happening. But in my personal opinion, it's very barbaric way of treating human. This is the first science that came to humankind where basically it allows you to treat human in a very humane way and very non-invasive way without cutting people open. You know, you just inject stem cell through, you know, IV or, you know, to the particular location of the organ without cutting open people. So it, and there's no side effects. That's the beauty of it. It's your own cell. So there is no side effects, it, you know, and their job is to regenerate and repair you. So what better option can you have in pharmaceutical or in, uh, you know, allopathic medicine, it's a chemical. It's going from outside into your body and you have a lot of side effects, you know, one good effect, but maybe 10 side effects. And that really is not the focus of this science. This focus of this science is to go specifically for the specific injuries or tissue regeneration and repair that at, you know, and without any side effects. Now, there are some skeptics who say that, you know, there is a risk here. Uh, there is a risk of, you know, causing tumor because once the cells go inside the body, you don't know where they're going to land. You don't know what it would do inside. And we know that there has not been any very focused study about the risk uh, having with the regenerative medicine or with the stem cell therapy. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, have you seen in your journey of uh, regenerative medicine with the, uh, with, with your research institute or with the cases that you have seen that there has been any case of you know tumor formation or you know some any other complexities that you have seen i'm so glad you asked this question and you asked this first and and you asked this specific question because very a lot of people miss that and they get lost into the lot of media misinformation and i'm glad you asked a very uh direct and a perfect question because there are different type of stem cells you know I'm 44 year old, so my skin cell is a 44 year old skin cell, you know, so it's an adult cell. Anything uh, beyond embryo, embryo, it's all adult stem cells. So we use adult stem cell for the treatment. Adult stem cell does not form any tumor. We have treated thousands, hundreds of patients, you know, and there is not a single patient has any problem because it's adult stem cells. It's embryonic stem cell is the one that if it's not differentiated properly, then it can turn and into tumor. So there are very few handful of people around the world who can really handle that. And our chairman, Dr. Anand Srivastava, founder, co-founder and a chairman of GeoStar, which is Global Institute of Stem Cell Therapy and Research. He's one of, considered one of the pioneer in starting the field of stem cell research. And in 2007, first clinical trial in the world approved by USFDA to use embryonic stem cell, not adult, embryonic stem cell in human to treat spinal cord injury was approved uh, through UCI, University of California, Irvine, and that's the first clinical trial, and still today it's the only clinical trial for spinal cord injury to use embryonic stem cell in human. And after that, he, in 2011, from UCLA, University of California, Los Angeles, he published another groundbreaking work to show exactly how you control embryonic stem cells so it does not form a tumor. So, but embryonic stem cell is not in a clinical practice. It's in the research. There are a couple of clinical trials going on. So nobody's using embryonic stem cell today for a patient care. So it, it's coming, but we are not there yet. Other, but we use adult stem cell for the treatment and adult stem cell doesn't have any risk. 
So for therapeutic purpose, you are you you are not using embryonic stem cells. No. So those are aerial stem cells. So I'm glad you you know you made the differentiation and uh, you clarified that. Uh, I'm sure that a lot of people would be happy by that. Before we go forward, you just mentioned GeoStar, uh, your institute. Uh, do you, would you like to say a few words about it? What is its focus? What is its mission? And why you established that? It's very simple. Our focus is this is it, it, stem cell science is the most advanced most elite and most expensive science of our age, you know, like in the United States, few places where we do lymphoma, leukemia, you know, thalassemia, a stem cell transplant, those things cost quarter million dollar a pop or may even go more, half a million dollars. So how do you make this science available to masses? So when Dr. Anand, my partner, and we were talking about in 2006, 2007 area, he said, let's make this available to the masses. And that became our vision. And how do you make a quarter million dollar a pop available to the masses? So Dr. Srivastava said, Devin, that your last name is Patel, it's your problem. You make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I believe he's right. <laughs> and, and so basically our vision was very simple. Let's take this science and make, go around the world and make it available to the masses. And that's how we started. And fortunately, we got a call from Prime Minister of India, Narendra Modi. At that time, he was a Chief Minister of Gujarat. And he said, you know, we search around the world to find the best practices for stem cell treatment for thalassemia and sickle cell anemia in my states. And they said, our search ended at UCSD. And you guys are the people who are there. And we want you to come and help us uh, develop the stem cell transplant program for my thousands of people. Again, music to my ears, you know, make it available to the masses. And today we are building world's largest stem cell treatment hospital in the world, in India, in Surat, with, in collaboration with the government of Gujarat, where thousands of the people, these people, I mean, these people are so poor that they don't have a money to buy a bus ticket from their village to come to this seven-star infrastructure that we are building for them. So there's the most advanced science to the most downtrodden people on the earth. And that's the power of vision. That's the power of political will. That's the power... Uh, when you believe in it, you can make it happen. Yes, absolutely. I, I think it's a wonderful news. Now, let me ask you this. I mean, are you starting this hospital in India because uh, Prime Minister Modi invited you to start the venture there? Or is there any other reason that made you decide to go to India and not start something similar here in the United States? If I have to do the same thing in the United States, it will take me to build an infrastructure. It will take me five to seven years and five to 10 times the money. So when I got an invitation from a government of India, I took upon uh, that opportunity. And now we're not only working with the state of Gujarat, state of Madhya Pradesh, state of Chhattisgarh, state of Zarkhand, all the chief ministers are coming to us and we're building many other projects with them. We also opened world's first dedicated stem cell treatment hospital in, in, in India, again, in Ahmedabad, the city I was born, because this is something I wanted to do for a place where I was from. So we started there. And again, we are planning to do something in the United States. We're planning our headquarter here, the huge new headquarter, which will have a research and the hospital together. So from bench to the bedside will not take years, but will happen in a you know few short months if possible. So our job is to take this research and convert into the clinical practice as safest as possible and as fast as possible. And that's what we are doing. And we're basically expanding around the world, India, China, Thailand, Dubai, Brazil, Turkey, Philippines, uh, 
Colombia, uh, so many places. I don't even remember the countries that we are going to. Wow, that's wonderful. So it seems like your focus is global. It now, is. That, that is really good to know. Now, when you are, how big do you think is the global market for this? A lot of reports out there, you know, a lot of research data people do a lot of research and they talk to a lot of few companies, I would say only few top companies and they, and they publish this data, which in my opinion is not reliable data unless you are into it. And, you know, we are in this business, we're the people who are the pioneers who started this field in 2000 and, and we are leading this field. And so we, if you ask people from the industry, you'll have a better understanding than just reading those reports that were written by people who have no business to be in, you know, uh, in stem cells. So they write that, you know, by 2020, this market in American, just American market will reach to almost like $50 billion. World market will reach to a couple hundred billion dollars. But in my opinion, but there are certain categories, you know, there is a, a stem, autologous stem cell treatment category, which is regenerative medicine treatment. Then there is a products, uh, which is, you know, all the supporting products to do stem cell research. That's a whole huge segment. There is a stem cell based new uh, categories coming, stem cell based cosmetics, which is coming up and popping around the world. So there are many different categories and you have to really uh, focus into the which categories that you are talking about. So just this, but the biggest industry is gonna be a stem cell treatment, you know, and a lot of people are afraid, a lot of doctors, a lot of institutions, a lot of, uh, because they think they're going to go out of the business sometimes pharma thinks that they're going out of the, going out of the business but that's not what it is stem cell is the most complementary way and the most natural way of treating human because it's your own cell you know and you're enhancing their ability to function and bring their function back to normal and i in my opinion no pharma or any other industry should be worrying about it rather jump into it and just in the united states we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollar investment in this industry like California Institute for Regenerative Medicine, which is the largest government entity in the United States, which is part of the uh, government of California, gave us $3 billion in 2004 to continue this research. And now they're talking about convert that into $10 billion and take it to $100 billion. So there are top philanthropists, you know, their business is to make money. So these are the smartest people who know how to make money and they know where to put their money to get the maximum return. And these people are not investing, they're giving away $100 million, $200 million to these institutions in the United States to do research. So that tells you this is the place to be and this is where it is. Anybody coming out of medical students within the next five to 10 years, they have to learn you're, you're right, but it, it is still a competition. In the healthcare, there are so many different healthcare approaches all across nations from uh, uh, traditional medicine to allopathic medicine to Ayurveda, homeopathy, Chinese medicine to regenerative medicine. There are so many different approaches that are there across nations. And each one, each one of these approaches has its own strengths and weaknesses. Now, Amit said, how do you think regenerative medicine will make a headway and convince people to give it a try? Uh, this is an excellent question because you, you uh, voice not coming through properly. I hear a little echo. Yeah, there's a little echo. Okay. 
this is the perfect question because you said it's a allopathic, naturopathic, uh, Ayurvedic stem cells is a combination of everything. This is the most natural way of treating human beings. As I said, it's your own cell, and their job is to treat or repair anything that degenerates. So it's a combination, you know, let's say a natural medicine. What is it? Basically, it's a plant material that you create a pill out of it and put it into your body to enhance the function of the cell, right? Regenerative medicine Enhancing the function of the cell itself without any other uh, external support. So how much natural can you get? How much better can you get? This is the so it has to succeed and it has to move forward. I mean, when I said it has to succeed, it is succeeding. It is not a future. It is here. Where you know we are treating hundreds of patients in our hospitals right now, and we are building dedicated stem cell treatments hospitals around the world, working with the different world government, and they are all accepting this medicine most conservative of all on this earth is saudi arabia right saudi arabia has invited us just next month to develop something in their country so talk about uh, acceptance no i i, I really wanna, especially i mean right now we all know how expensive it is to treat any chronic disease you talk about diabetes or you know cardiovascular disease or cancer or any kind of other diseases it is so expensive you know for lifelong treatment on you know a lot of these uh, diseases so something that is affordable and economical and it would not put strain on the economic system of your any nation is always welcoming but let me ask you this question uh, you have been trying to work with many different countries to start a similar program in their countries which countries are more supportive towards regenerative medicine and they want to start you know uh, going in that direction and which countries are hesitant based on your experience so far in my experience asia uh, is very open they wanted to do this like that means india china hong um, thailand uh, korea uh, uh, so those countries, Asian countries, are no problem. Same with the all the South American countries that we are working with the governments. They are very open. Only uh, area that we find some resistance, not today. I'm talking about five, maybe six years ago, was the Middle East. But now, mm -hmm. as I said, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia invited us to help them develop the stem cell transplant program for their people because what uh, we were told it is their people who are asking for the treatment. Now we're not even a doctor, people is about it. So they are forced to really receive and accept this new science. And as I said, this is the most natural way of treating human being and most non-invasive way of treating human beings. So why, why not? Yes, absolutely. Why not? Uh, based at this point, you, see, you are saying that you have already started treatment in the hospitals that you have built. What are the different diseases that you are having a therapeutic program based on this stencil um, therapy that you have. What are the different diseases that you are able to treat? We started with blood cancer, which is a regular well-established clinical practice in the United States and the rest of the world. But those are very vigorous programs that requires tremendous infrastructure, tremendous manpower, and very skilled manpower. And on top of that, we added a lot of adult autonomous stem cell transplant programs for autoimmune, diabetes, bladder, uh, lupus, bones, ALS, a lot of uh, skin disease, 
delivered his product to the some neurological conditions, autism, Parkinson's, so many, many, many we are trying to to, to make it make it to the masses. Uh, so, so I would say next three years in our we'll be providing our service transplant for many, many conditions more than what I want to do. And yes, the beauty, yes. beauty is uh, sorry, beauty, what I want to add to this. You mentioned that allow you to save money. You know? uh, if you see a diabetic patient for the period of 30, 40 years, and you compare that with the complications they will have because of a diabetes, because nobody dies because of diabetes, they die because of the side effects of diabetes, the heart is affected, the kidneys, their eyes. If you compare that condition themselves, I'm throwing in a maybe maximum $20,000, okay? And if that person is bigger than the control, even normal, proper controlled life, there are millions of dollars you're seeing per person. So there, you're taking a burden of the healthcare system, millions of dollars per person. We've done the one calculation for one of the government in India, for the state government. And we showed that for a period of 20 years, we would save on that particular state, which has a population of, let's say, 20 million people. We would not count, sorry, uh, about 35 million people. We would save approximately a period of 20 years over a couple of billion dollars in the healthcare system. And governments love that. That is very, very interesting. That I'm really. Uh, I think these are fascinating developments, um, but also I believe that they are going to be disruptive as far as the healthcare sector goes. Because when we are talking about the diseases that are chronic diseases, uh, the treatments, the, the way you know they are currently being treated by the modern medicine, and how the pharmaceutical industry and you know how the surgeries and all that goes with it, if if regenerative medicine is uh, uh, it is possible to cure those diseases by very, you know, in a, in a very affordable manner, in a very economical manner, then there is going to be dramatic changes in the economic factors or in the survival and sustainability of a lot of different sectors of healthcare. And that is, that is just the way natural evolution happens. And if in, in this competition of different sectors of healthcare, different approaches of healthcare, if one is very affordable, very efficient, and very accessible, then the, that is going to be a challenging time for many healthcare sectors from what I hear right now. But uh, at the same time, I don't believe that many countries, many nations are ready to uh, let the regenerative medicine you know, go to clinical uh, trials or to even have uh, the clinic uh, clinical approach you know in near future so uh, what are your thoughts on those uh, countries uh, i'm sure in united states they there is not much that we are hearing about regenerative medicine in clinical practice what are your thoughts on that there are a lot of misinformation in the media and as i said california itself uh, the government you know build the 
largest government department called California Institute for Regenerative Medicine, putting billions of dollars in the research. Just, I'm talking about California. Many other states are doing the same thing. And, but there's a tremendous misinformation in the media about stem cell and it's illegal and it can be done. Uh, but reality is totally different. All the top universities in the United States and from around the world are heavily vested into stem cell research or regenerative medicine. That's the one. Talking, you are talking about research. Yeah. I'm and and we the therapeutic part, the clinical part. Thousand plus clinical trials going on underway in United States and rest of the world, which is also a lot of people don't have information on. Two thousand plus clinical trials—that is not a small amount, you know. Uh, and also, you mentioned these these countries are not ready to accept uh, regenerative medicine. I because it's a very brand new science. It, we started in two thousand seven. We're the people who started this field in United States. So mm -hmm. 2000 to 2015, it's only 15 year old science. And a uh, lot of countries don't have a, even a concept about it. So that's where we come in. And that's where we go to the governments of the country. We approach the, uh, the rulers or government and help them understand the possibilities and uh, benefits of this science and clinical practices. And once you explain them, once they see the evidence, once they see the benefits, they're, they they receive us with the open hands. I mean, just in India, we have a couple billion dollar worth of projects going on. So imagine once we are we expand to the rest of the world. I mean, we are every in the every continent except Australia. So every country is, including Australia, is ready and working in stem cell research. And now a lot of doctors are providing stem autologous stem cell treatments, including United States. I see. Now, I'm glad to know that. How long, you said that there are a lot of research efforts going on. Uh, how long is the path from lab to the clinic? I mean, there are research, a uh, lot of advances in research are happening. But once in the research, in the lab, they say that, okay, we are comfortable that we can, you know, uh, have a new therapy for certain new disease. How much time it takes from the, you know, to take that from the lab to the, you know, clinic? Well, standard time for any medical clinical research is between five to 10 years. I mean, that's standard. And we are pushing that envelope to bring those, because now science has evolved so fast and now every day it's evolving, tremendous research coming. And in a many areas of regenerative medicine. So now I don't see, from two to five years, you will see clinical practices for many, many diseases around the world, just in two to five years. I'm not talking about 15, 20, 30 years. It so is we are very close. You, you are saying that we are very close to a yes. lot of different therapeutics. Now you are saying that a lot of investment is happening in California and a uh, lot of other states. Based on your knowledge and experience across nations, where else do you see the investments you know, pouring in? Which are the main diseases or main uh, research areas where you see the investment, you know, going heavily. Investments going on uh, neurological conditions, cardiovascular conditions, and autoimmune diseases because they are basically, you know, uh, degenerative diseases. So, China putting tremendous money in this. India, Korea, Japan. Japan has even cleared up their stem cell policy such that you can do clinical trial in a very fast track. You is everybody's catching up with us and I'm one of those person is 
you know, shouting around the world and say, look, and telling people in the U.S. scientific communities that, look, if we are not going to open up, if we are going to be a slow uh, pace, these countries going to take over. So now California Institute for Regenerative Medicine has opened up a ways to uh, fast track the clinical trials as well, because U.S. is feeling this heat from Asia, from, you know, uh, so we have to move. Everybody has to move because the heat is being generated from around the world and everybody's in base to go there first. But in my opinion, nobody has to raise for science because it is proliferating around the world and everybody's going to have access and institutions like ours, stem cell therapy, its sole purpose is to make available the science to the people, to the masses, to the doctors, to the researchers. So it is now and Yes, yes, I. You are right, absolutely right. It's very interesting information. Now we we know that we have medical tourism going on for a long time for the, a lot of different you know uh, areas, but the stem cell tourism has started picking up uh, for the therapies that are available overseas and which are like for example you know some therapies are available in United, uh, in India and they are not available in United States. So. As people come to know more about it, they are, you know, making a decision to travel overseas and, you know, get the treatment for them. Uh, what are your, what is the process if, let's say, someone hears that, okay, uh, this disease is being cured in India uh, by this particular approach and I would like to, you know, give it a try. What is the normal process for that? How does it go? Normal process, people usually uh, search on internet and then they... After that, they get the information. A lot of stem cell companies are advertising that. But uh, that approaches its own risks because there are also a lot of clinics, not institutions, large hospitals like us or organizations like us who are hardcore researchers. We are the people who do everyday hardcore research and then try to convert that into clinical practice very carefully, very uh, uh, conservatively. But there are a lot of small clinics, doctors who are neurologists or who are kidney doctors or um, you know liver doctors. They, they, everybody, every doctor knows that there's so much money in regenerative medicine, and they left and right provide this treatment. But in my opinion, not everything for all the people who are trying to provide these kind of therapies are with the knowledge and expertise that they are supposed to be. But any industries, when it's uh, at the, the infant stage, there are a lot of people jump into it. If you think about it 100 years ago, phone companies and, and, and uh, car companies, there are 100 phone companies and car companies, and today's only few companies survive. Same with this industry. Eventually, you the real players will, you know, uh, will lead this industry. and But a lot of doctors now has access to this science, but our job is to educate them. That is what we, that's why we exist. So we provide them the best knowledge and best practices so that their patient gets the best out of, uh, you know, for the money they're paid. Of course. of course. Now, we know that this is still not a regulated industry. Uh, there, are, there is no regulatory oversight probably in uh, many different nations. And uh, without that oversight, uh, what are the risks that you see 
I mean, you just say that, you know, there are a lot of risk of, uh, about, you know, uh, going through internet, you know, a lot of people may end up, you know, going through some scams because of that. So how do people differentiate that? Okay, these are the genuine um, play hospitals or, you know, research centers where we could go and uh, who is who is accountable? Who is watching all these, you know, uh, the oversight and challenges right now? I, I think this is a, another another excellent. You've been asking an amazing question. I tell you, you're right on the spot. It's amazing that you're asking all these questions. So, America very regulated. India has its own, uh, but basically everybody is following American stem cell guidelines, and then they customize according to their needs and their country. So, America, uh, India, China. China is little out of control, but they are getting these things under control. Japan is from excellent guidelines, Korea, uh, Australia. So all these big countries and places have their guidelines and the other countries basically follow these guidelines. So, and that's where we come into place again. We talk to these smaller governments and we help them develop their policies, which will allow them to progress and take their countries uh, to the level where United States uh, is by developing a proper guidelines. And we also go around the world and help them develop those proper guidelines, proper policies. And also we allow, help them to develop a fast track. Um, they don't have to start from zero. They don't have to go 15 years back, you know, just like cell phone revolution for Africa. They didn't have to go from landline. They jumped straight to the, you know, uh, no phone to cell phone, you know. So same approach, we are helping these other countries who don't have guidelines, don't have regulations to develop such guidelines and, and regulations so they safely and at the same time in a very proper time manner, they can develop proper sciences and clinical practices for those countries. But it's still a wishful thinking, thinking that, you know, by us, you know, suggesting them or by us guiding them, helping them, they are going to follow every single uh, steps that is uh, supposed to be taken, you know, to make it in a very ethical manner, in a very scientific and, you know, very uh, structured way. Because without having any global standard body who is uh, uh, developing standards or who is watching, you know, how each nation is uh, uh, going with this uh, therapies, it's uh, difficult to, you know, believe that or imagine that, you know, uh, the standards are going to be what it should be. I mean, when it comes to United States, uh, it's different. When it comes to a lot of other countries, it's different. So every country has different ways of, you know, working, different ways of conducting research, different ways of uh, conducting, you know, therapeutic practices. So without having a proper global guidelines, global standards, it is going to be challenged. And uh, we'll have to just wait and see that, you know, how these uh, global standards uh, are developed because you know as you say that you know this is uh, in the process of uh, being uh, accepted or being you know put in practice in, across so many different countries and uh, while this is going on so rapidly investments are pouring in so heavily we still don't have a regulatory body who is uh, working at the same space or same speed that can catch up with the you know advances and developments that are going on in this you know fascinating field i think there's a great future in regenerative medicine but at the same time we also need to develop proper accountability proper you know standards so that uh, the quality of the care that uh, people receive at the end of you know this uh, research journey journey that everyone is 
going on so rapidly that they have the same kind of uh, uh, opportunities to heal and you know to have a better life like everyone else now let me ask you this question you know we talked about that you know uh, your your efforts are focused towards making it very affordable and economical how much does one treatment cost for any diseases uh, that you are treating right now just a ballpark estimate it, it it depends on the patient's condition what stage of the disease what kind of the disease and so i i can pinpoint it but i want to tell you that our goal and our vision is to make it available to the masses and only way you make it available to masses means you go to the the country that has the lowest affordability and if you make that bring the prices down to those people then and then in a true sense you are making it affordable to the every part of the world and in my opinion i it's a personal opinion but uh healthcare is not something uh uh it be not available to the people in africa and available to the people in america because they are more affluent in my opinion healthcare should be available to the every human on this earth you know uh without or with per my personal opinion there should not be any cost even you know certain basic things and i believe the healthcare is a basic need of human and uh, my personal goal is to work towards that to make it available to the masses and right now let's say quarter million dollar a pop in united states for lymphoma leukemia we're trying to bring that cost down to 20,000 to $25,000 that's 90% reduction in the price but still that is not affordable in many third world countries so the challenge is huge but without challenge there is no fun so we're working on it but well, i mean i hear your point of that i mean if you look at the very chronic diseases are you know uh, treated or how much any single disease uh, you know cost in a lifetime it is very expensive it is not affordable most of the treatments that we have right now they are not affordable by the insurance i mean most lot of now see again there's another interesting point is that every country has a different way of healthcare functioning like in usa we have a very different approach to healthcare that is by insurance people you know insure themselves you know mostly it was government uh, mostly so far it was employer uh, based insurance now because of the affordable care act we have it going through the government also but how does uh, i don't at this stage i don't believe uh, the insurance industry is uh, accepting any regenerative medicine treatments am i correct or is there that's a uh, half half correct i would say okay. because all the uh, blood cancers that we treat with stem cell uh, you know lymphoma yeah. they're all paid by insurance you know okay. so they are it's clinical practice but many new conditions that like autoimmune diseases and many other conditions are not ready uh, or not acceptable yet but you know there are a lot of large organizations like government or i'm just giving you using example of india like government uh, departments like for example railway departments would cover their employees or or big you know institutions would pay for it so there are a lot of institutions coming up on their private uh, insurance to get these things covered so slowly it will happen i mean it has to happen there's no other way and even if as i said my goal is to even if insurance is not paying i want to make it so affordable 
that uh, average middle class family can afford to pay for this. People can afford yeah. that. No, I, I, it's a very noble goal, and I hope you succeed in that. Uh, having said that, uh, the healthcare system is different in every country, and uh, how we, how each nation uh, goes for their healthcare approach is very different. So, based on your experience and your knowledge. Uh, about how you have dealt with all these countries. What do you think are the biggest obstacles for regenerative medicine or stem cell therapy um, that you see in the coming years? In terms of policy making, that's where these countries are lacking to really develop the proper standards that we talked about earlier. Once we have proper policies in place, then you have a perfect uh, pathway to really grow that uh, field and make it uh, more affordable and more accessible to the people. So we are right now at the stage, as I said, this is a very new industry and any new industry will have this problem. But we are organizing as a world and as governments are collaborating with each other and really developing proper standards and standards that is acceptable at, uh, at every level, at every different country and a culture, because there's a cultural issues too. It's not only policy issues, there's a culture issue, there's a belief systems that comes into place. So once we overcome all that and really see the benefit that humanity should receive from this science, I think we will expand at much uh, faster pace than we are doing it right now. Now, I, I hear your point, uh, and uh, I think uh, everyone's goal is to make uh, healthcare affordable, I, irrespective of uh, nation. So, because unless healthcare becomes affordable, it cannot reach to masses, and it only uh, is available to only few. Even though you know we try to make it accessible by uh, allowing them to buy insurance, even in United States. But even after you know insurance, it is still not affordable to many many people. So, afford if uh, regenerative medicine is able to provide affordability to uh, the masses for healthcare, that is a really welcoming uh, thought. And uh, I hope you people like you succeed uh, in achieving that goal. Now we have talked about affordability. We have talked about uh, accessibility. Uh, how effective? Let's talk about effectiveness because for me personally. I, when I look at healthcare, I look at three factors, accessibility, affordability, and effectiveness. Now, there are a lot of different approach, approaches of uh, healthcare that we see, disease care, I would rather say, that you know they there are a lot of di different treatment options available, but it's mostly maintenance, and it's uh, mostly managing the symptoms. And uh, effectiveness is something that you don't see in a lot of you know, disease care that is uh, available across different uh, uh, healthcare approaches. So uh, give me some examples, based on the patients that you have been treated or based on the diseases that you have been uh, having in the clinical uh, therapy right now, what is the effectiveness of uh, that you see in your uh, stem cell therapies? But let me congratulate you again you were asking amazing questions. And I'm so happy that you're asking all these questions. So you said it's a, three things that you look at, affordability, accessibility, and affordability. So affordability, yeah, is we talked about, but I want to add to that. A person who's working in India, electrical company, he's a lower laborer who works up to the pool, 
and change the boat. You might be making 500 yen per month, okay? Now that basically working on electrical fell off and had a spinal injury, his first spinal came to us and we treated him for his condition. He was basically for two years, this is a two-year-old after the first he had a bladder control, ball control. He can move a little bit with, through his knees and do his own work. Now, medically speaking, our scientists on our team says, Devin, it's only maybe 10% improvement. But if you think about lifestyle, it is a thousand percent improvement. A person can eat with his own hands. He can go to the bathroom. He has a bladder control, ball control. That's a tremendous uh, improvement. And if you, let's say, or let's say ALS or MS, you know, uh, if you can just stop the progression of the disease, mm -hmm. that in itself is a tremendous achievement. But we have not only been able to stop the progression of the disease, but we have been able to reverse the patient with the diabetes, right, who are taking, you know, 20 units of insulin, but after one year of a treatment, they are on the on the pills. There are some patients of, of the insulin, of the pills, and uh, treating and, and living a normal life. And as long as they maintain proper lifestyle, they may not have to take the medicine. So there is a patient who had an alcoholic liver failure, right? And basically has to go for a liver transplant, but the family didn't have 100,000 plus dollars for the liver transplant. So the, And the challenge was whether liver is better, by the time the liver is available, this person is going to be alive or not. That's another challenge. So we did the stem cell transplant for this patient who basically couldn't even walk. And a couple of weeks later, a patient walks home, you know, and with the much better liver conditions and living healthy life. And may, we, we really may, he may not even need a liver transplant. So there are a lot of my, my own mother, you know, when I was building four years ago, my mother was suffering from skin disease, psoriasis, you know, and she had a red hot cracked up skin on her chest, on her back, and blood coming out, water coming out, and she was suffering like crazy. And she basically tells me, son, it feels like a lot, somebody's taking a torch and burning me 24 hours. And she started giving me a message, it's like, son, spend time with me, I'm dying, you know, and I can't take pain anymore. And one day she announced publicly, said, you know, I can't take this pain anymore, I'm dying. And a per because she had a uh, this, her skin is all so bad on her back, on her chest, on her legs. She could not even lie down. Even if we put a cotton sari on her, she would scream. If I put an ointment on her, I put a glove on, and I look away. Even I can't see it, her pain. And I told mom, you know, your son is blessed enough to build something five minutes from your home. Please come, you know. And she was one of our first patients after a transplant. Guess what? In three hours, her burning and itching was gone. In eight hours, her skin was 90% like yours and mine. In seven to our 100%, her skin is like yours and mine. What a blessing that God That is a blessing, baby. I have to tell you. I mean, uh, no words can describe the feeling, you know, when you see that uh, what you are doing makes something so much difference in the people that you love and care about. That is absolutely uh, amazing. And I. I'm very happy to hear about that. So, David, uh, I mean, we were, before we started uh, this dialogue, we were talking briefly about your background. And what it seems you have studied so many different things. 
and what made you decide that you want to what attracted you towards going towards the regenerative medicine i you could have done you could have done anything with your background that you have you could have been in any field but you chose regenerative medicine what was the reason behind that uh, when i was a little kid my mother's brother and my mother's father had a, a cancer of the, um, their uh, for the tobacco chewing they have a cancer in your uh, mouth and i would to every doctor's appointment and the operation they have to cut through because they cut first and then they cut more than they'll cut the tongue. And my mother started taking me there, not realizing it's so traumatic for a little child to see all this. But somehow that that experience put that voice in the back of my mind that no human should suffer from any disease. And I didn't do or didn't think about this uh, um, medicine, but somehow it is a divine intervention. As I, from from Midwest, I was brought to California 15 years ago, and that led me to meet with Dr. Anand Srivastava, who is a pioneer in the stem cell research, and that led to this journey, which we just I said we just begin. Yes, it just began, and uh, there is so much more to explore, and there is so much more to conquer. So, uh, with that thoughts, I think uh, we will conclude here. I mean, this is such a fascinating field, Dev, and I could uh, talk for hours on this. And uh, there is so much to know, so much to learn in this, and uh, so many questions and so many answers that we look forward to. And I hope that you know we can have this dialogue again, uh, maybe in. Uh, uh, near future so that we can stay uh, tuned to the advances that your research institute is having you know what advances uh, uh, we can see we can hope we can expect uh, from uh, geostars initiatives geostars research and uh, i hope that uh, the goal that you have to provide uh, uh, this regenerative medicine stem cell therapy uh, available to everyone across nations i hope you succeed in that uh, and uh, we'll be delighted to see the progress that you and Geostar and Dr. Srivastava are making. And uh, we wish you all the very best. And uh, that's it uh, for today, friends. Uh, uh, for more information on Risk Roundup and for the upcoming Risk Dialogue, please go to riskgroupllc.com. Thank you, everyone, and please join us again. Thank you so much, Devan. It was really nice talking to you. And I'm really happy to hear about all the progress that you are making. Thank you and looking forward to talk to you in future.